2: Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR film breakdown. We have a fantastic guest lined up for you guys today. It is somebody who has visited us before the draft, and uh, I wanted to touch base with him after the draft, and that is Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. If you did not get a chance to check out uh, tonight's OBR QA session we had on draft prospects, myself, Fred Greetham, Jared Mueller, Uh, Stephen Thomas, we brought on Brent Sobleski, formerly with us before, is with the Bleacher Report now, Uh, a really thorough discussion on all the prospects, so we we really enjoyed doing it, had about 500 people in the live chat, and uh, if you didn't get to check it out, check it out, it's up on our OBR YouTube channel. So uh, without wasting any more time, I was curious Jordan's perspective on so many of these draft prospects because the Browns... Pretty universally graded well across the board among many uh, prognosticators. So it was, it was uh, something I really wanted to touch base on with as many of those guys as I could get a hold of. So. I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you get a lot from it. Uh, I think it, Jordan does a great job answering a lot of these questions about prospects. I'm going to continue writing the film rooms that are going to give you insights on these things. They're going to be for VIP subscribers only going forward. So if you are not with us at the OBR with a membership, you unfortunately won't have the ability to see those. But that's encouragement to join us as your first month is just a dollar. And uh, we can prove to you what we're worth. So, you know, get there. Check us out. Give us a chance. Check us out on the uh, OBR YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Also, make sure you uh, like, subscribe, and rate this podcast as well. Always appreciate that support. All right, let's not waste any time. Let's get over to our interview with Jordan Reed of the Draft Network. Jordan, pumped to have you, man. I know you guys are doing great work at the Draft Network, and, and you get swamped with these interview requests, so this is important to us because we want to know your thoughts, man. Give me your, like, we not talk about each guy yet. Yeah, we'll dive into each guy quickly, but just kind of your overall view of how Andrew Barry did in his second draft.
0: I think it was solid. And this is what you get typically with the Andrew Berry draft. I think coming out of last year's draft, I thought it was very solid just because I thought they got multiple starters out of it. And that's all you can ask, especially in a guy's first draft. But you see a lot of similarities now in the second draft. I think they came out of this one with probably two starters again. Uh, Wusu Karamoa probably will be one and Greg Newsom the second will be really good competition with Greedy Williams for that second spot. We know he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So other than that, I think they got some really good depth. I think Anthony Schwartz is going to be a really good complementary piece that can take the top off of the defense. But I like some of the late-round shots that he took. Uh, I had Tony Fields the second. He was actually in my scouting region this year. He, I thought he was a very underrated player um, coming from over from Arizona and then playing the one year at West Virginia, and then Richard LeCount the second. I really like them taking a risk with that. Just because the pro day really wasn't indicative of what you saw on film. He wasn't really healthy from that, the motorcycle accident that he was in. And then Demetrius felt, and we saw his rise during the senior bowl. So I really like some of the shots that he took in this draft.
2: Well, let's dig in player to player. I, I want to talk like maybe one key question on each of these prospects. Because those who listen to this and have listened to what we do at the OBR, we've been pretty in-depth on these guys. So I think with each of them, there's a key question. We'll start with Greg Newsom pretty heavy zone usage guy pretty similar body type to denzel too you know he's going to compete with greedy you're right we'll see if that ultimately is a left or right corner or whether they go with what they did at the end of the year and make him a field or boundary corner probably a field because denzel's a little twitchier but do you think he has the ability to walk down play a physical brand of man-to-man in-your-face football or do you see him more optimally as a cover three or quarters corner
0: Well, the great thing about Greg is that he can play both, honestly, Jake. And they didn't allow him to get his hands on a lot at the line of scrimmage when he was at Northwestern, but I think he definitely is capable of doing so. And if you're going to watch the Nebraska game, that was one where you were able to see uh, him come down and press a little bit. He also played in the slot a little bit in that game as well. I thought that was one of his better games by far. So make sure to check out that Nebraska game. You can see him playing press and getting his hands on a little bit, but I think the one thing that really makes him stand out as far as being able to play both is that, yes, he was able to play a lot of zone at Northwestern, but you saw a little bit sparingly of him playing off-man coverage that did let him play press from time to time. But that experience is really going to help him on the next level as well. So I think he's capable of doing both, honestly.
2: That's what we want to hear, because we want to see them diversify coverages next year and finding a guy opposite. We like Terrence Mitchell a good amount. He did a nice job, but not the level of talent you're hoping to find. So Greg Newsom, an immediate upgrade, even if it's greedy too, you know, guys that are upgraded, if he, if greedy can stay healthy. Talk about JOK with me real quick. Is he, listen, Kevin Stefanski talked about this preseason last year. People liked it a lot. It's not it's not a crazy thought. It's, it's the heavy personnel packages keep defenses out of these crazy nickel-dime quarter looks, and that eliminates those exotic pressures that confuse, A, your quarterback, and B, your protection schemes. So is JOK, in your opinion, You know, I studied him, I wrote him up, I did a lot of dive into kind of how he plays, but I'm curious your angle here of, is he a guy you think is a will linebacker in rundown situations and you don't have to sub that guy off the field, you can kind of bump him out, have him be your overhang big nickel type and still feel comfortable putting him in space? Because he played a lot of slot snaps, as we both know, but he didn't play a ton of box snaps. Are you comfortable with him in the box? You feel like he can be an early down guy in the NFL?
0: So I think he's one of those guys you really have to keep him on the perimeter. So he likes to, um, I would say, really roam free. You don't really want him in the box just because he's not really good with what I like to call detaching from guys with those climbing offensive linemen coming into the space. He's just not a box guy. That's not really his strength. You want him playing free. You want him roaming on the edge and what I like to call that rover slash strong safety guy. So he's kind of mm-hmm. like if you play a 4 5 defense, he's that overhang to the field that you want to bring on blitzes. Uh, that you want him in, in the slide against tight ends and in these short and shifty wide receivers. He's shown to be able to keep up with those guys. But I really like this spot for him just because defensive end was a huge question mark for the Browns. Even after signing Clowney, there just wasn't a whole lot of depth for them. But yeah. the great thing about JLK is that you can blitz him off of the edge and you can slide Miles or Jadavian Clowney inside now to that three technique spot. And we know they are a little bit soft up the middle. They do they did sign or they did draft Tommy Togiai. Um, and then they br- they brought in some other guys as well, even after uh, releasing Sheldon. So maybe we we see that NASCAR package on third down of where they slide Miles or be in the being an inside, inside, and then you bring JOK off of the edge.
2: Yeah, for sure. I thought studying the tape, I was actually impressed with some of JOK's hand moves at the point of contact off the edge. So a yeah. push, pull, saw a little sw- club swipe. Like I was like, okay, if this guy was an edge, I'd be perked up. So. Uh, I'm with you. I think bringing him off the edge occasionally to keep him on the perimeter is a smart move. Let's move on now. Anthony Schwartz, listen, it's no secret, man, the guy's speed, and that's what he's known for, is is he more than that ever to you. There's nothing wrong with this type of player. If you can find a role for this guy 10 to 15 snaps a game, you know, a la maybe a, a, a worse version of Rashad per- I don't know I'm calling him a worse version of Rashad Perriman, but a guy who, like Rashad, has made his mark in the NFL, beating people deep, like that's no secret. Is he that ceiling player who eventually he is a guy you trust to run deep routes, track the football, and bring in, you know, 15 deep throws a year, whether that's a corner, post, go, whatever you want to call it? Or is he more than that eventually, a guy who can win some intermediate routes or run a shallow drag and kind of turn it into a 15, 20 yard gain? Or, you know, I'm just kind of curious. Do you think there's more to his game, or is he just going to kind of be a gadget player and that's okay right like gadget players are nice in the league so is is he more than that or is that kind of his ceiling to you
0: yeah i think he's probably just going to be a deep guy for right now just because the browns don't really have that on their roster i think they already have those other roles satisfied they have jarvis to really take care of the underneath areas we'll see what odell does when he comes back but we know when odell's at his best he can attack all three levels of the football field so all they really need schwartz to do is really just open things up underneath uh, for them but the great thing about Schwartz is that he's going to help out your run game a lot as well and what i mean by that is you have to respect his speed over the top just because we're talking about a receiver that has world class speed a 425 guy and you cannot pack the box when you have a guy over the top like that we know Baker um he i wouldn't say he's hesitant to go down the field i don't really know the splits or anything like that so i can't really speak on that but we know that Baker does have the arm strength and he is capable to go deep When he does take his shots and with a guy like Anthony Schwartz, we know that teams are going to try to try to pack the box, maybe have seven, eight guys in there. Um, So when you have Nick Chubb and guys like Kareem Hunt as well, you're really worried about that run game. But when you put a guy like Anthony Schwartz to the field and you want to run those deep posts or those deep goals, you have to respect that as a defense.
2: Yeah, it's particularly interesting for him, you know, how many how many ways they can find a uh, – the, the, the thing that I was caught off guard by, and I didn't even think about it. I cover this team all the time and I didn't think about it. It's the only offensive addition they've had all offseason. They didn't bring in a single free agent on that side of the football until they drafted Demetric Felton later on. That was it. I mean, James Hudson too, but, like, that's the first pick they've made to improve their offense. So they saw the need. Baker did lead lead the league in deep ball accuracy last year, but I thought they played in a situation where they didn't give him enough opportunity uh, especially because the field got so condensed with guys who just can't win over the top. Love Rashard Higgins, love Jarvis Landry, but you aren't putting them out in front of your team as the leading sprinter. So, you know, you got to find ways to separate deep down the field. And, and I think you'd stretch a defense out. And I called it like they were playing in the red zone a lot of the season because teams are so congested. So that, that level of the field has to be found somehow. And the 53 and a third across has to be utilized too. So he can do some of those things. James Hudson, violent hands, man. He makes a lot of pressure when he When he hits the peak of his drop, I really like the way he can effectively punch, and he's got athleticism, too. What do you like about him, and do you ultimately see him inside or out?
0: Uh, I think he's a tackle on the next level. Really interesting story. actually started uh, at Michigan as a defensive lineman, so I think that's where a lot of that hand power and that hand usage comes from. Only was a one-year starter at Cincinnati. Had a little bit of a weird feud going back and forth between Jim Harbaugh and Luke Fickle. Uh, When he first transferred, um, he he applied, tried to get an immediate waiver to play right away. But uh, the NCAA didn't grant him immediate eligibility. There is a a really unique story going on about that. But uh, he was only able to play one year at Cincinnati. But I think the best thing for him was ending up with a guy like Bill Callahan, a person that's known to be an offensive line developer just because he's very raw, making the transition over from...
1: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Defensive lineman, he's really, um, what I like to say, out-athleting everybody at the position. So he doesn't play with a lot of technique, his hands are down by his side a lot, and I really like what I saw from him at the senior bowl. And that's what you want to see from these de- developmental type of players is you want to see them get better every single day. And this was his first experience with NFL type coaching. And I think for him to really improve the way he did over that three day span and in those three days of practices really goes to show of why they took a chance on him uh, on day two. So I-, I really like this selection for the Browns and for him to be able to sit behind Jedrick Wills and then also Jack Conklin to eventually be that number three tackle or that swing guy on either side. I think he's going to be able to do that eventually.
2: Yeah, you're right though. The, 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 the phrase there about out athleting people is spot on. He's able to get away with that for the most part. And uh, it, it's something that he's going to have to, if he can take that athleticism translated into teachings of technique and how he effectively uses that athleticism to get where he needs to go before people can get there. I think you got a, a player who could be a nice swing tackle and eventually maybe a right tackle. So Tony Fields, you talked about him briefly there off the jump. He's he's a little – I think he's more box linebacker than people want to say. I think people have tried to say he was ultimately going to be the player they wanted to pick in that similar – not the same player, but in a similar fashion to JOK, they saw him as if they got Tony Fields later – they would be okay with that to an extent instead of getting JOK. Okay. Then they got JOK, okay, and then they were like, hmm, we still really like this guy. So do you see him as an in-the-box player, or do you see him as a guy similar to JOK okay, where he has to be an overhang type?
0: I think he could play Mike, uh, but it would surprise me if they do end up playing him at will just because he is a little bit undersized. And I think the difference between him and JOK okay, is that he understands how to detach and really contort his body uh, as far as to avoid Some of those climbing blockers, that's something I think is a specialty. He has really good sideline to sideline speed. And then he's an ultimate leader as well. That's something that you notice, um, just how he was able to eventually come over from Arizona to West Virginia. And he immediately started in the middle of their defense. He's going to be on every single special teams as well. And just an instinctive type of player as well. But I think the thing that was most surprising about Tony Fields is that how polished he was in coverage. And he's not one of those linebackers of what I like to say is just grass droppers. What I mean by grass droppers is that whatever it says in the playbook, if he's able to get 10 yards deep, if he's he's supposed to get 10 yards deep on cover three, he's going to get 10 yards deep. He doesn't know what's going on around him. He's not seeing anybody that's entering or exiting his zone. You don't see that with Tony Fields. He keeps his head on the swivel Uh, in zone coverage. He keeps his eyes on the quarterback, but also he understands what's coming into my zone, what's exiting my zone. And he's making moves on those routes that are entering and exiting those areas as well. So I think he's very polished in pass coverage. He's able to contort his body in the middle. Uh, he's not a super lengthy type of guy, so you do worry about him a little bit as far as getting swallowed up by those climbing blockers from time to time. That's why yeah. that's what I think is, is going to keep him from being a starter on the next level. But as far as depth and somebody you want as like your third or fourth linebacker coming off of the bench, I think he definitely can be that.
2: Love it. A lot of good things there, especially to to vary so you don't have a repeating player between, you know, what they got in JOK and what they're bringing in with Fields. Talk to me about Richard LeCount. It was no secret people saw the RAS data. He was not on many Browns fans' radars. You know, I think Jamar Johnson was kind of that guy getting late where we were kind of perked up, interested in him, or, you know, Trill Williams had a little slot and deep experience. We thought that could be the case. Trill ultimately goes undrafted, whatever. But, like, didn't talk about Richard LeCount. I mean, you know, he Runs a four eight. There's no secret the injury that was going on at his time. I think he he uh, you know I think he ran a better time at his high school day. So he, the injury's real, and the the data that was on the field tells you a player that can move a little bit. The Browns are relatively okay at Sorry, at safety. I think they have uh, John Johnson. We like a lot. We got Ronnie Harrison. We like a lot. Grant Delpit will be eased back in. I think there's an opportunity for somebody like whether it's. Um, Sheldrick Redwine who's on the roster fourth round pick a couple of years ago or LeCount are kind of both fighting for that same role I've said Jordan that they need a center fielder type is a center field type in single high looks whether that's man free or whether that's cover three is that something LeCount can handle in your opinion?
0: Yeah I mean that's exactly what he did when he was at Georgia and this is basically just John Johnson insurance and what I mean by that is you can use John Johnson in a lot of places he can't just play free safety you can bring mm-hmm. him down and play strong safety as well and I think that's what Cleveland is trying to do a little bit more of this year as far as interchanging their coverages, play some man, play some zone. Now, you don't really want LeCount and man coverage a lot. He's not really polished in that area. But if you just allow him to play center field, allow him to roam atop the roof and play cover three or be what I like to call uh, that police guy policing the center of the field and cover one, he's able to do that. I think that was a specialty when he was at Georgia. Now, he does need to improve a little bit as far as his angles coming down from the roof um in run support he's not an overly big type of guy either so uh, he is a little bit hesitant when he comes down from the roof so that's something that you do want to see him improve upon but i was really intrigued by this selection just because it goes a little bit against the grain of what the brons have done in years past he's a little bit of an older prospect as well and then you already spoke about the pro day numbers as well of where he just didn't really run what a lot of people thought he was going to run i think he's more of a 455 or a low 46 guy if he was yeah. healthy so there's no way in the world he doesn't play 4-8 on film at all. So I think they just really trust the tape with this selection.
2: I'm with it. I'm with it. I hope it can ultimately translate into something they can use effectively because they have a bunch of guys uh, that can do some things back there, but you don't want to pigeonhole them and you don't want to make John Johnson be a deep guy all the time because, like you said, he's special player near the line of scrimmage, especially in run support. He can he can bring it, man, so that flexibility is imperative. Talk to me about Demetrik Felton, our last guy here. Uh, I was – uh, I was blown away by his senior bull stuff. I thought he th- he showed a guy who could play uh, that that wide receiver position when they need him to. And the Browns will take a running back and empty him out and go empty from, you know, they're going to try to take a linebacker out with him. They're going to try to peel up whether it's zone or man based on moving a running back out and see who who trots with him. And in my opinion, it's something they like to do. Now you put a guy like Felton out there who can who can do all of the wide receiver things naturally, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a third back on this team and ultimately became a replacement for Kareem Hunt down the line when Kareem goes on to his next team and deal whenever that shakes out. So I think they keep Nick Chubb for three, four more years. I think Kareem maybe ends up walking. Can Felton be that number two back with that great dual threat capability, or do you think he's just maybe a guy best kept in only third down situations where he can catch the football?
0: Well, there's a lot of different things that Dimitri Felton can do. And the funny thing about it is that he's the billboard example of why these all-star games were so important this past season, just because he had not played receiver at all during his time at UCLA. He had strictly been a running back and he goes out, he performs really well in these one-on-one drills uh, at the senior bowl. And everybody was like, man, why didn't Chip Kelly play him more when he was at UCLA as far as that wide receiver? And Chip was saying, like, we didn't even know he was going to be that polished when he was out there at wide receiver. So he really surprised a lot of people. But I always say the more hats you can wear on offense, the better. And he's also a special teams contributor as well. So he's wearing all of these hats, and especially as a late-round guy, I believe a seventh-round guy. So he's really going to be able to help himself a lot. Excuse me, sixth-round guy. He's really going to be able to help himself a lot as far as the next level, especially being a late-round player, just because you have to be able to satisfy a lot of roles. As you can see, he's not going to have a lot of reps at running back. He has two studs in front of him. And Nick Chubb and also Kareem Hunt and then the Browns are loaded at wide receiver as well So he really has to carve out a minimal role for himself Maybe as a kicker a point returner initially and then maybe some touches that he sees in the backfield Maybe as a receiver or something like that So I think his role is really going to be very minimal very early on But as you alluded to the financial ramifications come into play really quickly, especially when you have a loaded roster like the Browns
2: Yeah, definitely a long play the big theme of this whole thing Jordan was drafting for the future you know they got some guys you referenced earlier two starters they think an impact but a heavy heavy eye and it's not a secret teams in the nfl are all trying to do it but they made reference to the fact that they're in a position finally to not have to fill needs and can look at guys who equal some sort of long-term uh justification when they select them and i thought they did a nice job of that the last thing i want to end with here is you know, Marvin Wilson, they give, him a, they give him a lot of money, man. They gave him 160000 a lot of money guaranteed, big mm-hmm. signing bonus. A guy who, if we're sitting here talking, if we reverse the calendar 365 days, some folks are talking about how do you get this guy in the first round? Could you get him in the early second? You had to move up. Like, what What happened, in your opinion? And do you think there is a player in there that can make the Browns roster and potentially be a shade? Or even, you know, if he's if he eats a little bit more food, puts a weight back on, I think he has a chance to be a shade or a three-tech. Do you think he can make the roster and be – a potential, you know, almost extra draft pick here.
0: I'd be really surprised if he didn't make the roster, honestly, just because I know that's kind of a, uh, kind of going off the limb a little bit, especially when we're talking about an undrafted free agent. But as you alluded to, they gave him a record number of money. Uh, I think he got the highest signing bonus of any undrafted free agent, if I'm not mistaken. But the great thing about undrafted free agency for some of these prospects is that you can choose where he wants to go. And I think it was his agent, Nicole Lynn came out and said that they were hoping that he didn't get drafted just because they thought the Browns were a perfect landing spot. And then he signed for more money than some of these other players are going to get that were drafted in the sixth or seventh round. But as we talked about earlier, the Browns really need help up the middle of their defense. And this was a guy that um, that opted out of the season initially. And then I think he opted out after like the fourth or the fifth game of the season if I'm not mistaken. So the Browns have a huge hole at one technique now with Sheldon Richardson now out of the picture. So I think if Marvin can show what he showed during his sophomore season, that's really where he was able to explode into the scene. And then he just did not look like the same guy his junior and senior year. Some people thought he was going to come out actually after his junior year. And we were talking about a player that probably was going to be maybe even a first-round prospect at Mm -hmm. some point. So we know the talent is there. It's just a matter of them trying to get it back out of him um i I really don't know what happened with him honestly, it's just like it kind of flamed out. He just didn't play with that same passion um you saw some flashes of it at the senior Bowl, but he just didn't look like that guy we saw during his sophomore and his junior season. so maybe now him going undrafted, maybe that will light a fire on him in him a little bit and we'll maybe be able to see that guy that we saw during his earlier years at Florida State.
2: yeah, a guy who kind of similar to what I talked about with j o okay, k where A guy slides, and you end up trading up, taking advantage of going after him. He thinks to himself, nobody believes in me. This team, though, traded up to come get me. They really liked me. That means something to me. I want to prove that all these teams made a mistake, and the same with Marvin. could think the same thing. The Browns were willing to put money that they've never put. The league doesn't put on UDFAs because they believe in me. Let me do right by them. So I kind of like that angle and hope hope it pans out. This has been fantastic insight from Jordan. He's at Jordan underscore Reed on Twitter. He's a rising star, man, and he's already a star. I mean, he's going to keep growing, and you need to make sure you're following him for draft content. And he has his own podcast, which is fantastic, the Read Option Podcast. You need to check that out, too. So, Jordan, good friend of the show, man. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time for us.
0: Absolutely. Thanks as always, Jake. It's always a pleasure.
2: That's a wrap. You guys will notice that I I, uh, a little bit unusually did not have this one on a live stream as we did the Q&A session last night. So, Uh, A little reminder to go check out that Q&A session if you can. I think it's really insightful, and you get a lot of different perspectives on the Browns draft and some of the theories going into the season, how they're going to use defensive personnel, some of their offensive line adjustments that are possible with the drafting of James Hudson. And just a, a myriad of viewpoints, and I think that can be sometimes really uh, vital because we can teach each other something. So I hope you hope you get a chance to check that out. Hopefully you enjoy this pod as well. Like I said, if you could review this pod, give us a subscription and a uh, quality rating, we would appreciate that very much. I will be back on the live stream tomorrow night as usual. We'll continue analyzing these prospects. Hopefully, hopefully get up uh, James Hudson's film room at some point tomorrow. We'll see where life takes me. It's been a long weekend so um yeah thanks for checking us out thanks for joining us and as usual and until we talk next time go browns